welcome to the next episode of The Compete Waffle. My name's Alicia Edge. I'm an advanced sports dietitian and co-founder of Compete Nutrition, a tech startup looking to redo how you access nutrition for performance and also nutrition for all things when it comes to your relationship with food to accelerate your well-being and performance goals. So this next guest, I lost my shite a little bit when I heard that she had agreed to come on the podcast for the main reason that she is someone I have admired from afar for a really long time. Uh, And it started when I saw this really powerful, strong female in endurance sport speaking up around her body, her ability for her body to change. And the biggest aspect of all of you know, her body and what it looks like not defining her success or her value. And so she has a very powerful word. She has a very powerful message. And you know, I was even talking to one of our clients just last week, right before I did this um, recording. And we're talking about, you know, identity goals and really visualizing who you want to be, not just what you want to achieve. And that person or that person you aim to be. And if there's someone that you aspire to be, or you can imagine who you want to be, that can be a really powerful tool in then really helping to ignite and prioritize those actions and habits that you can do daily to become that person. And when I was talking to this client about this, her response was our next guest. She said, I would love to be Lucy Bartholomew. Uh, She is everything entwined with being able to fuel for performance, have a performance mindset, but still associate the need to have a relationship with food that is flexible, that is around also the emotion, the connection, the celebration. And I totally agreed. I didn't think there could be anyone else that would be amazing to aspire to such as Lucy. And so Lucy is on the show today. If you haven't come across Lucy before, you will not shun back. Like, you know, we will make sure that you follow her socials. (laughs) We will make sure that you watch her latest documentary because she has so much to share and she's raw, she's honest. um, And I am so appreciative of all the insights and all the messaging she gave in this chat. Um, You know, when it comes to who she is, she's pretty phenomenal. Not many 15 year olds can say that they did a 100K um, endurance event an endurance running event, if nonetheless. And from that point on, she started to get a whole lot of attention and for good reason. She had um, one heck of a story. And as she said, before we even get started, you know, it's the best story she knows and she's very good at telling it. So I cannot wait to share this story with you. I will stop waffling and introduce the incredible Lucy. Thanks for joining guys. And I can't wait to hear your thoughts and appreciation for this latest episode. A massive welcome to Lucy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on today to chat all things running, life, documentaries, um, and lots of different hurdles along the way. So I appreciate you sharing your story. It's going to be a powerful one. Yeah, well, I love sharing this my story. It's the story I know best, so I can't <laughs> wait to get into it. Yeah, you're probably like, it's not that powerful, but yeah, you've got plenty to share and plenty of things that I think we can all take from it. I um, I don't think I can move forward through your story before hearing what your childhood must have been like because you started ultra running really early and I find that like personally amazing because I come from a cross country background. So I ran with my dad all the time. He was like my little coach and I have this vivid memory of like 
us like me collapsed on a hill just vomiting one early morning because he pushed me too hard and I probably pushed myself too hard and this older man coming is like what are you doing to your daughter <laughs> and but those runs together with my dad was some of the best memories I've had of childhood and reading through your story you've got something very similar yeah totally except for the reason why I think I do the ultra thing is there's not that feeling of uh, going so hard you know it was more about the eating and talking and walking and yeah the ultra runner mentality so for me you know I grew up I grew up playing a lot of team sports I um, mainly did it for the community and like to be with my friends um, so it was more like I was just looking I was in every club just to take as many days off school as I could um I was even in the chess team which got me you know really really lots of days off school until I didn't know how to actually play the game um so I did that and then I did athletics and cross country of that kind of three to five kilometers but I was always kind of the kid that I would like finish it and then I'd be like I could do that again you know and I think I always had this real endurance mindset of like I never wanted to push myself that that would be like the finish I always wanted to have something to go around again or for lunchtime after practice I wanted to be able to run around so I think I always had that in me and then yeah my dad he's done lots of road running lots of road marathons and he when he turned 50 he was looking for a new challenge and he found this 100 kilometer race and I was 15, uh, 14 at the time and uh, I started to see him train towards this 100 kilometer run in the mountains in the Blue Mountains in Sydney and I was just so inspired watching him get up early to run to work the long way run home and go for long runs on the weekend and I didn't get to see him so much so I decided to join him and so we'd not running to work but I would join <laughs> him for the the weekend fun runs where we'd uh travel around the state or the country and uh, camp and then go running and then go to a nice cafe. And at first I joined him and I was on my bike and he would run. And then as, uh, as I got stronger, I started to run next to him and I went up and watched him complete this hundred K in the blue mountains. And I remember watching going out to one of the checkpoints and I saw the, the leaders and they were super amazing, really light on the trails, really agile, just beautiful to watch. I saw the middle of the pack, you know, your everyday kind of mom or dad and with a job and who's obviously had dedicated their time to, to doing this challenge and had their head down and were getting it done. But it was really the back of the pack that I guess as a 14-year-old watching these people that were like, can of coke in one hand can pile of chips in the other balancing a selfie walking through the mountains and calling it sport and i was like it's like a kid's party with a bit of jogging like <laughs> i am sold on this sport and uh i watched my dad finish and i i came home and i emailed every race director in australia to find one race that would let me in and one came back and and said yes and so I ran side by side with my dad at 15 and completed my first 100k oh my goodness that's incredible and your dad um stayed with you the whole way and did it together yeah so part of the um the minimum age for doing that event is 18 and so 
obviously I was a bit younger than that. And so they had some extra hurdles for me to jump over. I had Mm. to have kind of a medical check. I had to submit a nutrition plan. I had to submit my training. And then I also had to run side by side with my dad, which was always what I was going to do. I wasn't going to, as a 15 year old, want to be out there quite so alone. But um, yeah, you know, it was an incredible experience to spend 12 and a half hours, like you say, when you're when you're running with anyone, I feel like you have these conversations that you wouldn't even say if you were sitting opposite a therapist, you know, you're broken down, you're very vulnerable. And uh, me and my dad, we have this relationship of, we can, we just talk about everything and anything because we, we do on our runs. And uh, yeah, it was incredible to spend a whole day just kind of when he was having an up, I was having a low, when he was having a low, I was there to support him. And we just kind of, yeah, had a great time, which made me want to do it again. That was my next question, not about the, that again, but but like what you talked about. And, you know, I when we were doing Ironman triathlon, it was the people you train with you were so close to because you spent so much time with them. But as you said, you've you've got that barrier broken down already. Um, you know, there's no hiding. It's a, it's a really raw sport. It is. I feel like it strips you down and then it builds you back up. And mm. you've kind of like, especially on trail running when you're out in nature, you've really got to understand that like you are powerless sometimes to to nature and what's coming but also to just like it's just a very freeing feeling of like I can be me out here and I can say what I think say what I want to say and you know like just because it's my dad who's listening to me like I'm looking at the ground I don't know who I'm talking to I'm kind of just voicing it and uh, I think that's a really beautiful thing. I feel like, yeah, you know, when you sit down at the dinner table, I wouldn't say these things if I was looking him in the eye. But, um, you know, because we're jumping over logs and puddles and making our way through single track, it feels very natural to just say what I, I feel in that moment. Yeah. And, and what would be, do you have a me- like most memorable moment within that first trail run, that 100K that you did, that you look back and you just always kind of go to that moment? Yeah, you know, I think most people would expect me to say the finish line, um, but actually it's the start line. So when I signed up for this event, this event was super excited to have this young female, you know, it felt very kind of Mm. different. And um, But there was a lot of backlash. There was a lot of people that kind of said, you know, 15-year-old female, she obviously has like an eating disorder Mm. or an exercise addiction, um, that her parents are bad parents. And there was a lot of controversy around it. Um, There was a group of school kids who were actually walking the 100Ks, but that was fine. It was kind of the fact that I wanted to take two feet off the ground at some point, but that was like a little too uncomfortable for some people. Um, I, I believe it all comes from like a place of, of love and concern for, for my future as a 15-year-old. But I remember my dad on the start line saying to me, you know, Lucy, there's a lot of people that want to pull you out because they want to be right. And you've mm-hmm. got to smile your whole way through this, even when it sucks, because you need to show people that you love what you're doing and you're doing it because you love yourself and you love who you're with and where you are. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's kind of my dad, you know, at any point in that whole buildup, he could have said, you know what, like there is a bit of um, concern and I kind of feel like it would be wise for us just to wait three more years until you're old enough and then you can go and do this event on your own. But he, you know, he stuck by my side the whole way and that's something that, yeah, led me into the path that I'm on now. 
Hundred percent. That um, trust in you, but also trust in your passion and your obsession is a really nice thing. I think as a parent that you can, you know, that's the gift that you can have, right? Um, I'm a mum of three young kids now, and it's really, it's really vulnerable and uncomfortable at times to trust in their obsession and you know try and make sure that it's their journey and their story. And um, yeah, I love that that your dad was able to you know allow you into there, but also support you through it. Did that media attention, you know, from that moment onwards continue throughout your running um as a you know late teen onwards yeah it kind of was like a gradual thing you know I I think for being I grew up with that kind of social media is a, is mm. a big part of it and I was always kind of I love documenting and taking pictures and just sharing what where I go and what I do whether that's to one person being my dad or whether it's to a hundred thousand people but um it kind of was gradually building at a rate that was very like comfortable to me until I started racing um, internationally and picking up a sponsorship. And then it kind of escalated to a point where I was like, wow, this is, this is a lot of people that don't know me um, and have never actually met me. And, you know, with that comes the assumptions and comments that like didn't really um, connect the dots that I know. And it was just kind of a, a challenging thing for for me to wrap my head around. Yeah, that's really hard, particularly when it might not be your story or your um, outlook um, or even, you know, voicing concerns that aren't necessarily um, part of who you are. Um, You were quite young when this all would have started and you're still quite young. Like there's still lots of learning and lots of challenges, I'm sure, in hearing those different um, criticisms or um, opinions. How do you personally respond to those um, or deal with them, like even if you're not necessarily personally responding? Yeah, I, uh, it's something that I've, I've struggled with. I think I, like, I've always wanted to, to please people and be friends with everyone. Mm. And, you know, you start to realize that you're not going to please everyone and that there's always going to be someone that says you should do something differently. And Mm. I think, you know, going back to my dad, like he's a huge part of that. He, he reads every comment on my social media and he knows that I read every comment. And so, you know, if he flags a comment, he'll bring it up and he'll be like, all right, like I know you're internalizing this and probably not speaking about it. So let's, let's break it down. Like what, why do you think that person said that? Do you think, do you feel like it's the truth? Do you feel like maybe what does it say about them as a person? And just having that open discussion has really helped me rather than previously I would, you know, think about it and I'd be angry and upset and I probably can be a bit fiery in my response. You know, I just want to write back and, you know, sometimes you reciprocate the same kind of feelings, but having dad to kind of, you know, call my jets and tell me just like, Lucy, let's just talk this out. And like, you could just delete that comment and then it's not there anymore. Um, but if you want to, if you want to respond to it, like take a deep breath and then let's, uh, let's respond to it in a, a human humane manner. That's amazing. I'm pretty sure I now need to invite your dad onto this podcast because I'm positive everyone needs him in their life to call their jets. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> That's amazing. And is your mum like I haven't talked about your mum as yet. Is she um at home with you or um was she part of this journey as well and what was her perspective on it if so? Yeah, so she she was in Australia at the time. She's mm-hmm. moved back since to the UK. Yeah. Um, and she kind of, you know, has never really understood the running thing. It's, it's the cool relationship where like me and my dad, we can talk about running. We do running, love running. Awesome. With my mom, it's like, she gave me her love for cooking. And, um, 
we're more about just like spending quality time together. Obviously, we don't get as much time um, as I'd spend with my dad. But, you know, during that first 100 kilometers, you know, she was always just kind of just do what makes you happy. Don't hurt yourself. And just, you know, as long as you go to school on Monday after the race, then like it's all good by me, you know. (laughs) That's so good. You mentioned the food element. You are a self-confessed foodie. Uh, You even got your own little cookbook happening. So has that stemmed from your mom, as you mentioned, or like other, you know, what's your earliest food memory? Yeah, definitely. So my mom, she, when she was younger, she worked on a cruise ship in Greece and would cook on the ship for the um, passengers. And so she's an amazing cook, but she cooks, um, you know, like very kind of like French and Mediterranean and, um, you know, her belief is, well, it was that more like meat had to be part of that meal. Mm. And so when she moved away, you know, my brothers and my dad all burn water um not not the best cooks in the world but I kind of saw this opportunity of like you know I've always been interested in the vegetarian diet and I was like this is you know let me I'm going to play around I'm going to read and try and experiment on some new recipes that not only I like but my brothers and my dad who are not kind of interested so much in that way of um eating and so I just became, yeah, just every night was this opportunity to try something new. And I just loved the experimenting and then giving it to the boys and seeing what they thought. And, you know, we all have different likes and dislikes and, and palates. And I just love kind of trying to find something that works for everyone and makes everyone happy. And, yeah, it's just a big passion of mine to, to cook for others and also to, like, nourish myself. Oh, that's so cool because it just highlights that, you know, it's not actually about the nutrients at all. It's about celebrating family and connecting and giving, right? It's that gift that you can give and um, a passion project at the same time. Do you have, you know, when you think of like, say, that memory of food, what would you say your happiest memory would be that you always find yourself going back to? I think I always just loved like family dinner times, you know, dad would come home from work, mom from work and my brothers from school. And we just kind of, you know, we'd sit around and it it wasn't like super deep conversations or, you know, half the time it was fights, but it was just kind of this feeling of like, we're a family. And this is like, this is our time at 6pm every night we come together. And I think that, you know, like the cool thing was we were, we always had a chance to be heard at the table. And I think that that's like, I love sitting around, like I put on camps and I cook for people and I just love sitting opposite people and sharing food. And it's like riding on a trail. Like you can just say whatever you want to say, like it doesn't matter. And you know, if anything, you can just like play with your food and look down at it if you're really uncomfortable about what you're saying. But I just feel like it's such a a beautiful time, meal times Mm -hmm. to, to connect with people and to, yeah, leave your phone away and just be really grateful for what's in front of you and who you're with and what you're doing. And yeah, I just, that is my early memories was just Mm -hmm. kind of always appreciating every element that makes up that 6pm every night. That's cool. That, um, you know, you've been part of endurance sport for a while. It's a pretty tough, stressful, um, pressured environment when it comes to body image, um, leanness, um, all those types of things. Did you find that that crept in early? Um, did you feel that pressure? Um, and if so, you know, how did that eventuate or how did that start? 
Yeah, I would say when I was 15 and joined the sport, you know, it was kind of trail running was like this hidden secret sport. It was like, oh, you run on the trails and for long times and sometimes at night and you shit in the woods sometimes. Like it's, you know, it's it was kind of this really like unspoken about cool thing to do and just really accepting everyone was in bright colours and there was just body shapes, different body shapes and sizes and colours and everyone was just just themselves, you know. It was kind of like dressing up on the weekend and just like you do you and we're just going to go spend some time together in the in nature um and I would say that I was just so welcomed into that community that I just loved it you know I was the little kid that everyone would look after and sign my permission forms and take me to races and so I was really confident in who I was and I was having you know early success because I was the only one you know they were creating age categories for me so they're like and Lucy wins the under 20s and it was like Lucy's the only one in the under 20s yeah, you know, my resume looks impressive at the beginning I think things started to shift when I picked up a sponsorship mm-hmm. and I started to race competitive races and you know I wasn't winning anymore so instead I was looking like how how can I get better and how mm-hmm. can I maybe win one t- one day and so you look at who is leading the sport and what they're doing and it was kind of you know you start to pick up on oh like this body shape seems to be the one that's always on the top of the the podium and I don't look like that and she mentioned that she doesn't have a period and I've got that like should I get rid of that to you know I want to be her I want to be like that and so it was just this kind of you know striving for for more and kind of wanting to change who I was in order to potentially you know one day stand on top of the podium. Mm. And did that come about through changing your training or um, did you find yourself starting to think about food differently or, you know, um, changing how you eat or feel? I'd say it was like a combination of both. I was definitely, as I was getting stronger and I left high school and I suddenly had all these hours in the day and I didn't go to university, I just decided to to travel and to run and chase my passion. Um, You know, I was obviously training more and I was training harder with people that were professional runners and running at a level that was, you know, like I was striving for. Mm. And then I think along with that, um, you know, those people I was spending time with, I kind of saw their portions of food and I've always been, you know, I've got two big older brothers, dad, and they've all got great appetites. So I've just been the same. Um, But I definitely started to have that comparison and just kind of be like, oh, you know, you know, I'll just have like that size as well. That's fine. Just one serving's good. Um, and I think that it really escalated for me um, when I started to to race internationally, specifically before Western States 2018, which was where, um, you know, I was at what some people would probably be like, wow, she's so fit. And I was like, she's so unhealthy um, looking back. But I think that that was like a time that I had to go through in order to have the perspective I have now of like, I want to be, yeah, I want to do well in races, but I also want to be running in 50 years. Like my dad, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to be like he is. And he's so strong because he's just always, you know, continuously looked after himself and, and nourished himself and just always kind of played the long game rather than just trying to play the fast game. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's pretty pretty significant. It is something that we talk to our athletes a lot about is that identity goal over the now goal, um, you know, and you just pretty much summed it up. You know, you don't necessarily want to be just this thing right now. 
but you also want to be that identity that grows and can do this thing that you love for a longer time period. And it's really hard. I, yeah, I totally appreciate how hard it is to then let go of the body composition pressure or the leanness pressure for that longer term, you know, whether it is menstrual cycle or impact on bone health and all these types of things that we need to look after now to ensure that we can do this for a really long time. And it's super vulnerable. It's really, really hard. And what kind of things were you feeling, you know, when you were in that more restrictive mindset, was that impacting your performance or were you, did you first of all see some performance improvements? I think, you know, that's important too. Yeah, definitely. I would say, you know, like you hear these stories that when, you know, you lose a bit of weight, people are like, wow, you look great. You look really healthy. And I, you know, like as things started to, you know, it's not like I was unaware that like my top top was a bit looser and my shorts were a bit looser, you know, it's, it's, that's, they didn't change. I did. And I knew that. Um, but with that came, yeah, like compliments and especially like social media is an amazing place for people to write their opinions on what you look like. And, um, and then racing is a great way to just kind of pat your ego on the back. And I was having success this, going into 2018. I was 2017, 2018. I was having like, just like, I was on top of the podium or on the podium continuously. And I was like, Oh, I've got this sorted. Like I know this sport, this is great. And I'm, I got it dialed and this is, I'm unstoppable. And I think that I, uh, I kind of went to the point where I went to this heart study just before Western States 2018 and uh, they <clears throat> did a Dexter scan and they took my heart rate and they did all these things because they were testing elite athletes. And so they tested me and they were like, they were like amazed at my numbers. They're like, your heart rate is so low. Your body fat percentage is so lower. And it was kind of just massive pats on the back. I felt like I'd made the hall of fame at this hospital. I came back the following year and in between those two years, my body had self imploded, you know, hormonally, emotionally, mentally, physically, all those things had just like taken a severe deep dive and I'd had third place at Western state. So I would kind of this massive hundred mile race and I've, kind of had done well there which was my goal but I was just meant to be lining up for that race again one year later and I wasn't in a great headspace I was so self-conscious of the way I looked and felt off like felt weird in my clothes and weird in my own skin and I went into this heart study again and they kind of went oh like you know your body fat percentage has gone from like the elite like elite of the elite category to the normal category what happened and I look back on that and I think it's amazing that the flags were raised when my numbers went up, but they weren't raised when my numbers were so low, you know? And I think that that's something that like, whilst mentally I wasn't in a good place going into that second assessment, my body was actually in a really, like I had my menstrual cycle back. I was, you know, I was strong and like my VO2 max test had actually gone up per kilo of weight that I was, but it's kind of just, it really opened my eyes to how much we think about the way we look and that the numbers say and how like those should tell you if you're an athlete or not. And uh, like I finished that Western States, I didn't have a great day. I wasn't in a good headspace and kind of disrespected the whole sport. I feel like if I have one race that I wish I could do again or would or would maybe not do at all, it would be that race because I stood on the start line wish, wishing it to be over mm -hmm. and for people to stop looking at me and to stop, um, you know, like I don't want, didn't want the pressure. And then I finished that race and got on social media and all it was was like, 
um, forums of people kind of making assumptions about like, you know, oh, look at Lucy, my God, she's so much heavier than she was. And look at that. Like it's obviously the plant-based diet that she eats is terrible for you. And, you know, just like all these assumptions and um, just unfair things to say about anyone, let alone a 22-year-old female, um, was really challenging. But then I also look back and I think, you know, when I came third at this race in 2018 at Western States, I picked up 50,000 followers overnight. And so it's 50,000 people that as they started following me, their baseline was me at this really unhealthy weight, but having success. When I started to change, um, <clears throat> I didn't obviously have a great race the following year and I was heavier. Everyone was kind of like, hang on a minute, this wasn't the person we started following. So mm. I kind of understand how that could be quite like uncomfortable for people, but it's just like me reassuring them that I'm in my mid twenties, my body's going to change. And I knew this was something that was going to happen. I was always fully aware that I was preparing for Western States 2018. And after that, I was going to rest. The rest didn't come. And so instead my body just went, if you're not actually going to stop, we'll stop you. And so that's kind of what I had to do was, you know, I had to just reset. And then, you know, I actually thank the pandemic for a little bit of time to just kind of come to peace with it all, let everything sort itself out. And yeah, just like recalibrate myself and uh, hopefully come out the other side stronger. Mm. I remember one post really vividly of yours, Lucy, and it was of you finishing one of your big races and you had bloating. Like it was just the bloat that would happen after all of these different foods and fluids come in after such a long period of time. And reading the comments and seeing like your class in, you know, responding to these really beautifully was something that really resonated with me. And, you know, you see it over and over, the comments that happen on body. And it's not something that's just on athletes. If you think about, you know, many people now going into Christmas time with family after a pandemic and their bodies have probably changed over the last year due to many things. It isn't a reflection on self-control or discipline. It's a reflection of all these different things that have happened to our lives, our habits, our environment, our stresses. And weight isn't in a vacuum. There's so many different things that impact our weight. It isn't a matter of what happened. It's a matter of why and how can we look after our total well-being without measuring, you know, that body composition as a measure of performance or a measure of success or ability to succeed. Definitely. I think, you know, people are so, we love numbers. We love having those measurements, like you say. And I think whether you define yourself by the pace you run at, the distance you run, um, or all of those things or the time that you're out there. And then if you define yourself by your weight or your height or your shoe size, you know, like it's just, why are we a number? Why do we, why does it matter? You know, at the end of the day on my tombstone, I so hope that on there is not my weight, height and BMI score. <laughs> on that tombstone, I hope it says she made people smile and she was, you know, a loved member of the community. And I think that people forget that like, these things are going to change. They are not who we are. You know, we, yes, we have a, a shell of a body and we can use that to do so many things, but who we are is like inside. And that's not something that, you know, you can comment on and have attack like people do on social media to your shell. Um, so I think it's just like, if people could just, you know, just not worry about your numbers and not have that comparison and that need to, 
to run a certain distance at a certain pace that would be a certain weight and a certain BMI score or have a percentage of body fat. I think it's just, it's just so unrelevant to who we are and what we can bring to the world. Um, and it's, I just don't want to be defined by a number anymore because for so long, you know, I was driven by numbers. I wanted to be first and I wanted to be fast. And that meant that I had to be this weight and this way. And, you know, at the end of the day, like that's just not, it's not fulfilling. It doesn't mean anything. Can you remember the moment that you started on that journey toward that recovery in, you know, your mindset, but also your self-actualization and um, belief? Yeah. So a big part of it was actually 2019. So I did one race in New Zealand and mm -hmm. then had another terrible race and kind of thought this is the second year where I've just stood on a start line, wishing people wouldn't look at me and just feeling really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I flew from there to Nepal and I was in Nepal and I went to this, I'm going to call it a retreat for like, cause it's a very Western word, but I don't know what they call it there. And I arrived and I had my little Solomon rucksack on as my runners. And, uh, you know, they were like, cool, like just, you know, give us your bag and here's your robe. This is what you're going to put on. And I was like, uh, are we not going running in the Himalayas? Like, this is what I'm here for. And he was, um, they, it was this silent retreat, but it was also this kind of, um, he kind of said, you know, when you rock up and you've got your Solomon kit on, you're clearly a sponsored athlete, you're clearly a runner, you know, what you wear is the canvas of what you represent. And throughout this whole time, <clears throat> for the first three days, we didn't speak. And it, the, I was in this group and you create these assumptions about people and you're like, oh, that guy, he looks like a lawyer because he looks super uptight. And that girl, like, she looks quite athletic. I wonder what she does. And after the four days, we were able to start speaking and we were talking and it was kind of like, oh, you know, who are you? What do you do? And it was amazing how our mind created all these stories and connected dots in the most whack way to kind of just like put ourselves at ease of like, yeah, he's just like a lawyer who doesn't want to talk to anyone. So that's fine. And then you realize that he's actually like a school teacher. He's got, you know, he's a human being. And I think what it made me realize is, I'm not just like a sponsored runner. That's not who I am. And if that's all I place value on, then I'm going to really struggle because some days I'm not going to run and maybe for some time periods in my life, I won't be able to run. And so I think that, you know, I really loved this experience of kind of when everyone's in the same mm -hmm. clothes, no one is kind of representing anything they're representing what's within them and I found it just like a really beautiful experience and something that really challenged me I wasn't able to run for that period I couldn't speak which obviously I love talking and um but it really made me strip back and go like what do you want to represent and who are you because you're not just a runner and you love cooking why don't you do a cookbook you love um, exploring and telling stories, you know, try and do those things and do podcasts because you, you love talking and connecting to different communities. And, um, yeah, so I think that for me, it was just kind of that moment sitting there in those meditations where it was like, wow, Lucy, like you've, you've just got completely, you're, um, like you're just not going in the direction that you wanted to go. You're going in the direction you think people want you to go. And, that's not going to fulfill you in any way. So it was just kind of this shift of if I was just, if I remain true to me and I do what I love and I do what I want to do, then whether people like it or not is kind of not my problem. And uh, be that the way I look, be that what I act and what I eat and what I do. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think that once I let that go, it was just like this real freeing thing of like every day I'm a canvas and I can decide what I want to to draw on that and what I want to be. So that was just kind of a very key moment. I flew back from there early because of COVID and came back to Australia before borders shut and then had, you know, 250 days of lockdown where I sat and thought about, you know, what do I want to be putting out into the world? Because running fast times and bringing home medals is just not fulfilling me at this point. So it was just a really kind of, um, you know, I want to be a healthy and I want to be a great role model for females. And, you know, what's the best way to do that is to look after myself. And I wasn't doing that prior and now it's my priority. One thing that really resonated with that piece, Lucy, was, you know, that identity piece that you had opportunity to think about. Because I think in the rush and the distraction of always the numbers or always the what, it's really hard sometimes to step back and go, actually, what's the who? Who am I going to be remembered by? Um, Who am I going to be remembered as? Um, What impact do I have on people in a room? And um, it's a really hard question to answer, but it's also one that always changes, right? So your identity is something that shifts and molds around you. But what an amazing way to enter the really hard time that was lockdown and particularly someone in Melbourne, how long that was, um, it was almost meant to be, right? Like it could have been a really hard time for you to have running taken away, having events taken away, having your identity taken away as it was previous to that trip. Definitely. I I definitely came back to Melbourne after Nepal with this real like kind of calmness and when the races started to get cancelled and my flights and plans and, you know, everything kind of started to be cleared off my calendar, I didn't see it as like all these things I wasn't able to do and I saw it more as, wow, I have all these things I can now do, you know, and it was like I have 19 more hours put into my week of which I'm usually running. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I can spend that in the kitchen. I could spend that sleeping. I could spend that doing yoga. I could learn, you know, I started doing Spanish lessons. I could do all these things that, you know, I've always put in the I don't have time for it. That's not part of the athlete thing to do. And I think that, you know, like I know that I, and I recognize that COVID was an incredibly challenging time for so many people, but for me to have kind of races off the cards and expectations gone and social media became, you know, people just appreciating the small things, you know, taking the garbage out was like this massive day of the week <laughs> where people dressed up. And I was like, I love this. Like no one's going, how many cases did you run? Because we all had an hour. So who cares? Mm. And it was just like, you know, what else did you do? Like, tell me, what book did you read? What music are you listening to? You know, it was like conversations became less superficial and more like, so how are you doing? And I think that that for me was just like, it was so refreshing and it was exactly what I needed. And yeah, I feel very, very grateful to have had that mindset and Nepal to kind of set me up for that. Don't look at what you can't do, look at what you can do and realize that this isn't happening to you, it's happening for you. And so I kind of just really went into it and was like, I'm ready to like dive into what else I can can do with this time that I, I get given every day. Yeah. And, and 
Oh man, like how many people can take that as a sign of resilience, right? Like what can you do in that moment of adversity, whether that adversity is lockdown or injury or um, all these types of things that athletes go through. There's so many moments where we can only impact what we can control, but it's a really hard journey to get to that point of being okay with that and accepting that. Um, you know, your as your body changed, you're, you're very vocal around, you know, people making comment on that. Did you ever struggle through those times of, you know, that the last two years in particular of um, any shame or um, comments that really hit home that you found hard? Oh, definitely. You know, I think I really try and be a, a beacon of light and think mm. that, you know, like there's positivity to take away from everything and you can always look at it from how what that person must be struggling through if they're going to comment on me. But, mm. you know, like there were days where I was just like, I just can't win. Like I either am too skinny or I'm too big or I'm too fast or I'm too slow. Like I eat, I eat vegan or I should be eating carnivore. You know, it was like, I don't know what to do. And I felt like I was trapped. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, going back to what he said is like, you have, for me, I've always kind of said, you have two things you can control in your life. You have your effort and your attitude. And so the effort is like how much you want to put into something. You show up, you, 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 put your best foot forward and your attitude is like how you kind of deal with these things and what light you choose to look at things through. And I think that, you know, I was very lucky to have my dad to kind of help, but I didn't want to just delete comments because that doesn't solve the problem. People are always going to put them there and then they'll be like, well, just delete it if you don't like it. And it's like, no, the problem is way, way more deeper than you just thinking, oh, if you don't like it, you can just decide what stays and what goes. I wanted to make points and be quite vocal about it because whilst my skin has become quite thick and I feel very confident in who I am, that doesn't mean that every young girl or any young guy or older lady or older man will feel the same way. And if I don't stop the ball with me, I worry that it will go to, they'll think, oh, well, that it was fine when I wrote Lucy's, you know, um, overweight, then it's fine for me to say that you know, 11 year old Sarah's overweight. Um, and so I wanted to make a big deal and just kind of bring awareness. So like when you type these words on your screen and you press post, it seems like, cool, close my phone. My life goes on. But the repercussions of that is someone opens their phone and in whatever moment, whether it be a good day or a bad day or a bad moment, and they read this about themselves. And it suddenly like the spiral that it can send off, like I've done that, I've been there and I don't want that to be a common thing. It's not like, oh, I'll just learn to deal with it and grow your skin thicker. It's like, no, no, like the person needs to be held responsible. When I've shared people's comments, people have been like, oh, you're just bullying this person for sharing what they said. And I was like, these platforms are public. My, my profile is public. You can go to the comment section. I can wipe out their name. But no doubt most people will go and find out who said that. And I think that it's really, you need to own it because on the other side is another human and you're a human. And if you wouldn't say it to my face, then don't put it on my post. And I think that um, I really just wanted to, I'm a very strong, uh, I have a lot of opinions and I wanted to be really strong and clear that like, if you are willing to post it on my thing, that I'll give you recognition in my story and we can see like in what direction people feel because I just want to understand how you think that that's okay to say to another human being who 
has been like for me I've been very open about my struggles and uh you know hitting someone when they're down probably not a cool move and uh you either own it or don't post it yeah 100% mate thank you so much for having that you know conversation over and over Uh, I think that's the really hard thing about it and it really leads to a whole lot of trauma to have to continue to do this over and over and fight for a fight that's not just yours it's the bigger picture and I I really thank you for that you know I was um, talking to one of our um, clients just last week and we're talking around you know who you want to be because it was a whole lot of discussion around disordered eating and um, you know those real shame thoughts around food and earning to burn those types of things and we said you know who do you aspire to be what's that identity that you look up to and your name came out of her mouth and I was like yep I totally agree because you know you envisage what people aspire to be Luce oh bless that's yeah. beautiful thank yeah, you yeah, it was really nice and I was like well you won't believe it I am actually, <laughs> actually chatting to her next week and she lost her mind and I was like yeah fair same <laughs> Um, I, I'd love to talk around your recent um, challenges that you've had, Luce, if you're comfortable with that, um, because, you know, it is a journey that you shared was your recent um, diagnosis of eye cancer. And I'd love to hear, you know, the, the first stages of you having an inkling that something was wrong and, you know, how you got through that. Yeah, well, it's kind of, it was one of those things, you know, I've done a lot of scary things in my life, be races and stuff, but I've always kind of done the training, prepared, been in the right mindset. And I actually went into the doctors like most athletes do to get my iron results back. And I went in just hoping to get my blood results back. And I saw a different doctor than I'd normally seen. And uh, he used to be a really highly recognized eye surgeon. And he, I'd had this thing on my eye for three, three and a half years. And everyone had said, oh, it's a sty. It's just because you're tired. This is your body's like response. And so I was like, cool. Like This is like this like little medal that I wear that says that I'm really tired because I train so much and I'm an athlete. And he just looked at it and he was like, no, like you need to, you're going like, I'm giving you a referral, like an immediate grade one because of COVID. It was really yeah. quite hard to um to see the the really high um professionals and get in for surgery and he was like no I'm writing you like a level one you're going straight there and I went there and they kind of took a biopsy and I thought that was it and I was like I'll be fine like I think it's going to come back as this like sty and then within days it was kind of like cool so this is going to be like a five-week process you've got three surgeries in there between the two sur- between the second and third surgery your eyes stitched closed and it'll seal up and then we'll slice it open. And uh, it was kind of like, you know, I'm really grateful that I'd had the Nepal experience and then this COVID time to be like, I'm more than an athlete. I don't need to run all the time. But I'd also like, this was happening just as lockdown was starting to ease. And then suddenly it was like, cool, like you're not going to be able to do anything because you're going to have your eyes stitched closed. You'll be really off balance. You won't be able to see your left. And, uh, it was like a really hard thing to take. Like, yes, cancer is a incredibly traumatic thing to go through and a word that just is, lets off a whole lot of emotions and a whole lot of people. Cause I'm sure that everyone knows someone who's dealt with it in whatever capacity. And for me, it was kind of like, you know, running put aside, I, I like needed to deal with this front and center. And I think for me, it was kind of, 
I felt like it was a really symbolic thing. You know, my left eyelid was stitched closed for two weeks and I felt like it gave me this opportunity to focus on what I can see. And like everything to my right was like, I focused really hard on, I was like, cool, this is what I can see. This is what's going on. And I could worry about what's on my left, but I don't know. And it's, it's dark and I can't see it. And I, if, you know, it was just kind of like this really, it gave me this chance to, whenever your senses are taken away from you, be it you get a cold and you can't smell for a little bit, you're like, the gratitude for when that returns is immense. And I feel like for me, like going through this and having this five weeks of just in and out of hospitals, number one, I come away with this, like Australian healthcare is incredible. And especially after such a long stint of them being put under stress. But it also kind of just gave me this like, really incredible gratitude for just when I stand on a start line ever I will just be so incredibly grateful that one I'm there two I'm healthy three I can see both sides that I need to see and that like I have gone through this and you know this will be something that I'll continually be coming back to and having to get checked but you know if I can get through the last five weeks and probably the last seven weeks of having this on my mind I don't believe that anything else that gets handed to me running wise or social media wise will mean absolute jackal because this is something that like you can't uh you can make a lot of assumptions about someone for their weight and what they eat and what they do but something when you go through like a, a health issue like this it's definitely given me like a lot of grace and also a really big gratitude for community because what I found is that I thought, you know, all these people would stop unfollowing me. I was like, if I'm not the runner, they're not going to like me. But instead the community, was, they really rose up. And every day I'd receive messages of how are you doing? How are you feeling? I started to realize that like, I don't have a hundred thousand followers. I have like probably 90,000 friends mm -hmm. and people that care about me, not for my running. They want to know how my headspace is and how my feelings are. And, you know, like if they can drop food off or if they can send me something or sending me pictures of their dog or kids doing something funny. And I realized that like, it was just a really beautiful thing to realize that I'm not just this mannequin who runs, you know, I'm not this billboard of sponsors that just has to be first place or bust. It's like, these people care about me and they care about me if I have one eye stitched closed <laughs> or if I'm coming third at Western States. And I think that that was just like, I always believe things happen for a reason. And I feel like I needed that re reassurance that no matter what, these people have my back but also this kind of like, stop caring what you look like. I felt like once I kind of like had my eye patch on, yeah. I, like, I can't, I can't go outside. Like I can't be seen. I'm going off social media, whatever. I decided to like radically oppose that and be on social media and make a, make a joke of it, make, have a bit of fun with it. Also go onto the street and just look someone, you know, with one eye in the eye and just be like, you know, like, let's talk about it. It's fine. You know, it's, it's worse if you make assumptions about me, I'd rather you just ask me like, what's going on? You know, like, let's have a conversation. And I think the aesthetic of it made me be like, you know, you can control so many things about the way you look, what you wear, how you do your hair, what color it is, whatever. But like, at the end of the day, like function over beauty, man, like I can see and I have a functioning body. So like, who cares what it looks like at the end of the day? And that's just something for me that I, I felt like I needed to learn is that like, 
yeah, this is a shell. It's not who I am. This is, I'll have a scar in my eye, which will always represent this time. And it will always be something that I'll draw upon uh, whenever I go through any challenges. Mm. You've mentioned a few times that social media impact and also, you know, how much it has been part of your life. I'm a little bit older. And so I did have my teenage years without social media. Look, we had a bit of MySpace and MSN, but uh, <laughs> that's about it. I, I honestly would love to hear your thoughts around um, how you feel um, social media is impacting um, those that are in those really formative teenage years and also, you know, the influence of filters and pressures and um, image and, you know, a message for those kind of individuals who might be listening. Oh, man, I think social media, it's a, it can be a beautiful place. Mm, as you've just mentioned, place. right? Yeah. yeah. It yeah. can be a place of connection mm. and collaboration and people having each other's back. But I think the most important thing to remember is that you are not your tiles on Instagram. Your story is not your story, right? Like that is, when I look back on my story of the day, I'm like, oh, good, that's like the really nice moments. That's the great moment. You know, it's probably a accumulation of 10 seconds of my 24-hour day. And I think what people, if I can give anyone advice, it's to not use the filters. It's not to change how you look and to not send, spend mindlessly scrolling, spend time mindlessly scrolling through a, a fake reality. It's not anyone's world. People are filtering and they're Photoshopping and they're completely changing what they represent and what they put out there. And like I said, I found in Nepal is that like we are these blank canvases that can represent anything. And on social media, we can be someone completely different. And I think that it's really important that when you, what you read on there, you go, that was what one person thought in that one split second that they decided that, that was a good idea to put up. And you have the power to delete it. You have the power to delete Instagram. You don't have to be on there and you don't have to be sharing every moment, every meal, every step and like looking for that ego uh, pat on the back that we get. Um, and I think it's just really important to remember that like you are not your the amount of followers you are is not defining you. You know, we talked about not being defined by pace and times and weight and height. You're also not your following or like, that's just, just so not important. Mm. Um, and so I think just being really taking everything with a pinch of salt and just realizing that there's always going to be someone who doesn't like what you do and being okay with that and being like, that's cool. Like, you do you, I'll do me. If we, if we like the same things and that, that makes us, if not, then like it was really nice knowing you. And I think that it's really important to kind of have that boundary of like, I don't need to communicate or respond to someone if they don't share my values. I choose to sometimes, but I do that to create like an awareness, but you don't have to be like that. You know, it's just kind of, it's really important to just be you and put put what you want to put out there. And if you like to filter your things, like play around with it. But I reckon, you know, like make it known that that's what you do. You change what it is. It's not like, yeah, just social media is not who you are and it shouldn't be. You should be living life in the moment. Yeah, it doesn't define your worth. Yeah, I love that. Lucy, I can't um, not cover the Lara Pinter trail that you did and the recent documentary that you've done on that. Um, can you tell us a bit about that epic experience and maybe a little bit of background about what it actually entailed? Because, yeah, it's pretty epic. <laughs> 
Yeah, definitely. So it kind of flows on nicely. I mean, mm. I felt like the Lara Pinta, it's a 231 kilometer track that I wanted to make my way over. I don't love to call that I ran it because that would be misleading. Uh, that's definitely walking, crawling, uh, some sitting, <laughs> crying. Um, but it was kind of this pilgrimage for me of where I was before COVID and where I am kind of coming out of it. Um, and I think that it's just kind of like a really... I would have always wanted to do something really, really long, but I ne- I didn't want to compete through it. Like I didn't want to put a bib on and just rush through it. Um, and so I met Josh and Brian, who are a photographer and a videographer. And in between lockdowns, we saw this opportunity to head up to the Lara Pinta, which is in the middle of Australia. So it's normally about a four-hour flight, but we did a two-hour flight to Adelaide and then drove for two days into the middle, into Alice Springs. And for me, it was about going back to why I started running back when I was 15, you know, to explore places, to meet people, to connect with myself, to connect to land and to kind of just connect on my dots that make me who I am. And so I had this dream to create this film and I wanted to do it really vulnerably and really raw. I wanted to be incredibly... I wanted to show the good, the highs and the lows because I feel like I watch so many inspirational, and motivational and aesthetically looking, good looking things on Instagram and YouTube. And I guess after 10 years in the sport, I've had so many bad moments or hard moments and challenging moments in races that I've been like, God, you know, the good guys never have this, these films I've watched. And I wanted to put something out there that said like, you will call it suffering you will have challenging moments there'll be moments where you want to stop you'll cry you'll want to talk to your dad Mm. you know you're going to look crappy for a lot of it but you're going to do it you're going to come out the other side and like I say it strips you back and it builds you back up and I think that this film that called running out I wanted to show off who I was no filters all like there was no acting it was all one take and it was all incredibly me, me being me being in challenging positions, me coming together with the community, me completing the challenge that I set myself, maybe not meet, meeting my goals, but being able to be okay with the fact that like, but I did it, you know, I started, I tried and that's success. Um, and so, yeah, it was an incredible thing. We managed to squeeze it in between lockdowns. My training had been one hour a day, five Ks from home. So I was not in like the the best probably like fitness I'd ever been. But like my coach said to me, he was like, you know, Lucy, when it comes to like over a hundred kilometers or over 50 Ks or for some people 20 Ks, it's not about being fit. It's about being uninjured and about being stoked. And those were the two things that I had wasn't un, obviously wasn't injured because I hadn't been running so much. And I was so stoked because I just wanted to run anywhere but my five kilometer radius. Mm. And, uh, you know, that's what carried me through. And I realized that like, you could do anything as long as you're uninjured and as long as you're stoked. Screw fitness, screw what you look like, screw how, you know, how you do anything, like what you look like when you run. As long as you're happy and you're not physically impaired, then like shoot for the stars because, you know, what I learned out in Lara Pinter is that like people love human stories that they can relate to. I didn't win anything out there. I didn't, you know, like it wasn't some incredible just like everything went perfectly day. And it was a day where people were like, I resonate with that. I've, you know, I felt like that, maybe not even in running, maybe mm. just in life where you're like, I felt so alone. There were moments on that Lara Pinto when I just like, was just like, I am in the middle of absolute nowhere. I have no idea 
what I'm doing here and why I'm doing it, you know, and questioning all those things. But like you say, I always knew who I was out there and that's because of the work I did previous to heading out there because I think if I'd gone without having gone to Nepal Mm -hmm. and being able to have that deeper perspective, I think I would have made it 50Ks before going, I'm not who I was, I'm not as strong or as fit, I don't, like I'm not like the the athlete I was to do this and I I can't do this, I shouldn't be doing this, I'm out. And I just would have been in that headspace because, you know, I ran for 54 hours pretty much by myself the whole time and it gave me 54 hours of listening to two people on each one on each shoulder an angel and a devil and I think we always have this in life we have someone a shoulder saying you've got this you can do this keep it up one step at a time just like take this next step and then take another one and then you have the devil that's going you're worthless what are you doing this is stupid my god you're unfit like get out stop you're an idiot and I feel like when you have this you know the physical side of running the Larapinta was so easy compared to the mental side of I had to for 54 hours consciously choose to listen to the positive voice and I think that in life we're always going to have those two voices and like effort and attitude we need to put the effort into listening to that and the attitude to kind of go I hear you negative side but I'm not going to respond to that just like on social media like hear the good stuff because it's there Mm. and you know like definitely like see the the negative and understand and listen to it but also be like I'm just not going to choose to listen to that today I'm not going to let that in because it's amazing what you can do when your head and heart are in the right place and that's what the Lara Pinter showed me yeah you had uh plenty of challenges I remember um reading the dehydration issues when the, the streams were dried up where you plan to grab water and you know, there's just so many things and so many obstacles to overcome and you know as you said the headspace when those types of things are happening are kind of all you can control right totally yeah so I went seven hours without water and one of those things where you're like I could get my I could get really angry and upset about this and I did for sure there's mm. a few minutes and moments where I was like I completely screwed this up but then it was kind of like okay what can I control let's just like help future Lucy by slowing down getting in the shade if you see any water you know see if suss it out if it's any good to drink um and just kind of you know be respectful and just let your body do its thing because you know it's here to help you and uh and it got me out the other side which is really cool yeah, you mentioned the team that you went there with a few times. You know, I think so much goes unsaid around what actually goes into an ultra endurance event of any kind. You know, it's not just the person doing it, it's the people behind it that actually make it happen because the logistics are massive. Um, yeah, what kind of things went into the preparation, the logistical planning of something like that? Yeah, I would say, you know, if, if we were to do it again, we'd probably do things quite differently. Um, we we were kind of just young and unaware of what is out there. We, um, you know, like I said, my training wasn't really there. And then we went up and we kind of were just like, yeah, we're just going to do it. And the, the locals kind of said, oh, it's like a really hot part of the year and we've had a lot of rain. So the grass is quite long, so navigation is quite hard. And then, you know, there's just like, because of COVID not many people have been walking through. Mm. So there's just like not a lot of um, tracks to follow. And, uh, and I was just like, Oh no, it would be sweet. Like, it's cool. It's just like, it's this well-marked route, right? Mm. And uh, you know, I was shown pretty quickly that it's, it's not, it's super, super challenging. And 
um, you know, Josh and Brian, Josh is a road runner and an incredible runner himself, but not, hasn't seen probably the, the depths that I took myself to and been awake for 54 hours and crewing himself. And then Brian has never seen anything like this. You know, he's not really a runner. He's, he's an outdoor enthusiast, loves creating films and being outside. But, um, you know, they put on so many hats out there for me. They were, they drove around, they crewed, they were videoing and photographing. They were cooking food for me. They were messaging my dad to make sure that he stopped worrying. And, you know, it was like this incredible, huge thing undertaking for three people to kind of do. And I had the easy job because all my job was one step at a time, eat and drink and try not to get too lost. Um, but Josh and Brian were just, you know, incredible people. I met them in January and then we went in March and we'd spent a total of five days together prior to spending two weeks in the middle of the desert and then supporting me. And, you know, they saw me every eight hours in the, on the run. And so it was just kind of every time I saw them and saw the fairy lights of the van, I just, it made me like so excited and so happy and just so grateful that these two dudes who I only met two months ago were going to meet me in the middle of the desert and just hand me some hot oats and uh, and a banana and be like, all right, see you in eight hours. Wow. So you were literally on your own for a lot of that run. Like it wasn't like the guys were next to you telling you where to go. So how many errors in uh, uh, geography did you make? Because my sense of direction would not have allowed for that. <laughs> I get lost in the supermarket. It's a miracle I'm standing <laughs> Honestly, I, um, I, so it was meant to be 231 kilometers and I ran 256. So just a little half marathon of out and backs and, uh, navigational challenges. <laughs> oh, Lucy, far out. That, the word resilience doesn't actually fit here. Like the ability to come back from that is incredible. Like, uh, I would have just been all hot and flushed and Oh, so stressed in those moments. I was all that. Oh, oh my God. That's incredible. Okay. You mentioned a little bit about what you ate and I would be doing a disservice as a sports dietitian not to ask. In these types of um, efforts, I will say, what kind of things are you putting in? My my main thing is like whatever goes in is great. Yeah. So I definitely, uh, you know, I what I realized was working for me was to eat really warm, um, wholesome meals with the boys. So they would heat up, be it like oats or like curry or pasta. Like it was just like a proper meal. Mm. And then I would go for these eight-hour stints where I would take just like um, some muesli bars or um, a wrap with like some hummus in it. It was just kind of like I wasn't racing, so I wasn't going to do gels and like mm. all that kind of sugary stuff. I really wanted to like nourish myself and give myself that kind of just that wholesome experience of mm. what I would normally eat and I didn't want to put that through my other stuff through my system. Yeah, you didn't need to. Yeah. And that's yeah. a really good point, right? Like it really does depend on the pace that you're going and what you can tolerate. Like in a race situation, Luce, I'm sure you would go for those easier to process faster to access types of um, foods and that's where I think sports nutrition gets a bit under misunderstood in many ways of like oh well there's no place for the sugar and there's no place for the gels or the processed food I'm like actually there is and there's a reason why they're there it's just that sometimes we can go with the portables depending on how fast we're going what our goals of that event or that training session are and that's the beauty of it we miss and mix and match depending yeah definitely and I think that you know I've done 10 years of racing mm. I'm doing the gels and doing the yeah. fast energy and it was so nice to kind of, yeah, have the wrap as I'm walking along and have some curry midway mm. and, 
you know, it was like a, a buffet to buffet with a, a bit of walking and jogging between. But I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's really important that like nothing's, and if I went back, it would be completely different mm. what would work for me. Mm. It was just, you know, the boys happened to have what they had and I, my stomach was good for it. Mm. Um, and I think that's because, yeah, the pace was a lot slower and it all depended on the weather and the time of day as to what I was able to take in. And the cool thing with sports is like, if it doesn't work, it normally just comes back out and you want to sleep. So it's just kind of, I was kind of, yeah, if I checked my guts up, I was like, cool, well, you know, not today for the oats, yeah. but maybe in a few hours, we'll try again. It's a sport of glamour, really. Oh, Luce, I just realised the time and I didn't even realise before then of how long we've been chatting because it's just been such a pleasure to um, catch up, to get to talk to you in person of someone I have admired from afar for a really long time. You have such a beautiful way with words, a really strong but very powerful voice in the most respectful way of everyone that you come across. So I thank you so much for sharing your story today. You've got one beautiful experience so far and I can't wait to see what the next stages are. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I've loved listening to the podcast as someone who loves sport and then loves nutrition. It's kind of the beautiful combination of the two for me. So yeah, you know, thank you so much for all that you put out there and I can't believe I'm a part of it. Oh, thanks, Lucy. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you are kind of made to be a sports dietitian, to be honest. It is kind of your calling of both sport and food put together. And I think that's where I've ended up. Like I remember um going to the uni one day and dad's like we're trying to find out what I wanted to do I knew it had to be in health that was definitely where my passion was and he picked up this brochure for nutrition and dietetics he's like you like food you can do this and I'm like oh yeah maybe I could and it's just this one moment that changed everything I think if I was to study anything it's the one thing that Mm. you know it's just it's so fascinating Mm. how different everyone is I love Mm. it I think it's just and you know you gotta nourish to flourish and I kind of feel like it's so we need people like you to to help people find their way because you know like myself you lose yourself a little bit and then you can you can come back and I think it's really cool that the the body lets you have multiple chances that is a really good point thank you so much Lucy um I can't wait for our next conversation I'm sure it won't be too far away I hope so. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, and I will link all of those things that we talked about, including your film as well, Lou, so everyone can enjoy it. See, I told you it was pretty incredible. She has a whole lot to share and so much more. She's still so young. Man, so wise. I wish I was wise at her age, but I can't say I was. I was still learning a lot, and I'm sure she still feels like she's learning, but she has an incredible um, outlook and I tell you what her dad is someone I'm gonna have to get on the podcast because he sounds like a pretty epic human that I think we can all learn from and gain perspective from so mark my words I'm gonna chase him down and get him on also um, so when we're looking at next steps we have got um, the links in our bio in terms of how to follow Lucy's story on social media alongside how to watch her latest film that she mentioned throughout the podcast where she um, conquered the Lara Pinta Trail, a 231-kilometer in Northern Territory. So some epic stories. Uh, She's crammed a lot into her life so far, so I'm very excited to see where the next chapter allows for Lucy to go. So thanks so much for joining. I can't wait for you to share the next episode with us. And until then, please share where you're um, listening to our podcast. Please leave a star rating or a review if you get time. It just helps our little old podcast get further reach and share those stories even wider. So thank you so much, everyone. I hope you enjoyed and we'll chat soon. Cheers.